lead or influence those people for God. Uh, servant leadership. And uh, we saw last week, Chris uh, reminded us last week, that this is God's purpose for our lives from now, really until the day we die, that we would increasingly become servant um, leaders. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate servant leader of all time. And um, he came into this world from heaven to bring grace and truth to us. Uh, But he did it through serving. Uh, He did it through making himself vulnerable. He did it through uh, making himself vulnerable even to suffering and death. I think the very heart of the unique message of the Bible is that God, God immortal, God our creator, God who is all-powerful, emptied himself in the person of Jesus, humbled himself, and uh, became a servant. And so God calls us to follow in Jesus' uh, example. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, you know, didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And so um, our purpose in life uh, is maybe summed up best in these two words, uh, servant leadership. And Jesus invites us uh, to follow him, to be like him, and to join him in what he's doing, to kind of step outside of our comfort zones and outside of our Christian communities Uh, so that uh, we can be servant leaders and invite people in our world uh, into a whole different kind of life that most folks don't even know uh, exists, that Jesus came to give us, to bring the kingdom of God uh, into our world. Uh, A while back, Barb and I were having a conversation, and I said to her, you know, if I should die, uh, there's a great passage of scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 13, uh, that I think would be a great... uh, Uh, thing to put on my marker, right? And it's talking about King David from the Old Testament, but here's what it says, um, Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, went to sleep. Isn't that cool? Have you ever thought, you know, what is my purpose between now and the end of my life? And I We've been suggesting, you know, that it's to follow Jesus and to, um, and to be a servant leader. And so uh, I said this to Barb, you know, this would be a great marker, or it's just a reference, Acts uh, 13, 36, uh, on a marker, on a grave, right? And uh, so the next birthday, I got this book. I think I told you about it. She gave me a book, and it's, uh, I'm dead, now what? <laughs> right? And it's one of these books that, uh, you know, you fill in so that when you die, uh, everybody who's interested can know what your wishes are for your funeral and, you know, where your insurance policy is and who you want to give what to and all that kind of stuff. So I'm scared to have a next birthday, right? Because (laughs) I'm not sure what's coming this time around. Anyway, this morning, I'd like to talk to you. We talked about that last week, our purpose. And this morning, I'd like to Because we know what our purpose is, I'd like to direct your attention to um, how Jesus defines what his mission is in life. Okay, so if our purpose, right, is to bring other people into the kingdom of God, our mission is how are we actually going to do that? How does that actually happen? And um, what's our role? What's our part? And again, um, if our purpose is to invite people into what we call God-first living, then our mission is how, how are we going to actually fulfill our purpose? And how does it, 
How does servant leadership actually happen? And in uh, Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus, uh, early on in his ministry, he's just getting going in his ministry, uh, comes back to his um, hometown, Nazareth. And uh, this is the place where he grew up. And he comes there and uh, goes to the synagogue on a Saturday for a Saturday service. And um, he stands up to read in the service. And the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. And uh, here's, here's the account, Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And then Jesus goes on and says some more things. Jesus' mission, how is he going to fulfill his purpose of leading people into the kingdom of God? Now, I can't think of a single person uh, who has ever you know, come to me uh, to argue that the world that we live in is just fine the way it is. <laughs> I can't think of a single person who ever came and uh, wanted to argue that position, that the world is just fine. There's no problems. There's no diseases. There's no uh, you know, inequities. There's no hatred. There's no ignorance, no injustice, no mental imbalances. Um, nobody's really grieving over uh, losses. Nobody ever argues that position, that the world is good the way it is. It seems like everybody agrees that the world is not what it should be. That in our world, as we encounter it, and as Jesus encountered it, there's poverty, as he says. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There is the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, but Jesus sees the poverty. Jesus sees the captivity. Uh, Jesus, at another point, said, you know, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy And so he sees that people are in the process of being taken out and being destroyed and being deceived and so on. And he sees that. Uh, He sees that there's blindness or ignorance and that there's oppression. And Jesus says in verse 21 of this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of the clearest claims that Jesus makes about being the Messiah that God had promised since the beginning of time. Since in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and since the promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to send somebody who could straighten out the world in which we live. And this is Jesus' claim that he's that person. And so um, God sent Jesus into the world on a mission. He had a mission. 
And this was his mission. He came to address our problems. He came to reverse the effects of sin. Uh, He was on a mission to bring grace and truth into our world. He came to obliterate death and replace it with new life. He announces a window of time when the favor of God will be available to everyone. A window of time where grace, undeserved favor, and forgiveness, and mercy, and truth are all on the table for the taking. And Jesus says, I'm that person that God has promised since the beginning of time. In essence, Jesus says, I am the answer to everything that's wrong in life. Now, I hope that you and us who are gathered here together believe that. That ultimately, the answer to every issue in life is Jesus coming. Let me just read these words again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, just one important aside uh, uh, on this particular passage of Scripture. If you go back to the passage in Isaiah, chapter 61, where Jesus is quoting from, uh, you'll discover that Jesus stops with this quote right in the middle of the prophecy that's found in Isaiah, chapter 61. And that's because the first part of this prophecy about the coming Messiah by Isaiah has to do with his first coming, and the rest of the prophecy has to do with his return. Sometimes we get this confused. There are some people who think that the minute you become a Christian, all the promises that are associated with the second return of Christ are going to be instantly ours, and we want paradise to be now, and we want life to be, you know, uh, uh, as is promised at the second coming. But Jesus intentionally divides this right in half, Um, And it's important for us to understand that the second part describes his mission when he returns. You know, we all want our problems gone. We all want paradise now, and that's coming. But right now, uh, I want to suggest to you that there is a purpose for all the problems that are in the world. And the purpose is to be the backdrop for the mission that God has sent Jesus on and Jesus has invited us into. Without problems, people wouldn't be aware of their need for a reconciliation with God. And so there's a purpose for the problems that affect all of us. And uh, the good news, however, is that between, the good news is that now, between the first and second coming, uh, conditions are perfect for reconnecting with God. Conditions are perfect for reversing the effects of the fall of mankind from the beginning of time. That's the good news. Now is the time. Um, And reverse that long-term effect of all the problems that mark all of our lives. Um, Jesus sees that people are poor in spirit. He sees that people are living with brokenness and that people are oppressed, that guilt and shame are squeezing the life out of people. And he came to reverse that. He came to set people free. He sees that people are blinded by the philosophies and by the leadership of our world today. He sees that, you know, people are blind by the philosophies that are pushed at our universities and our culture uh, that are so blatantly wrong. 
and uh, that are lies and that deceive people and so forth. He sees that people are being held captive, longing for freedom. And so Jesus came on a mission. And his mission was to reverse the poverty, you know, to set free the captives, to uh, give sight to the blind, truth in place of error, and so on. And he's going to get involved in our world serving the felt needs of people so that he can address the real needs of people. He's going to get involved serving, being a servant leader. He's going to get involved serving the felt needs of people in order that he might address and resolve the real needs of people. People are both physical and spiritual, all of us. All of us are both physical and spiritual, correct? Uh, But we are born, the Bible says, spiritually dead. And so awful lot of people think that the only life there is to have is the physical life. And their whole life is tied to the kingdom of this world, not knowing that there is a kingdom of God. And Jesus is on a mission. And he's not afraid. If you follow him around, you'll see that he gets involved serving people in order that he might address their real needs. Um, If our whole life is tied to this life alone, we are of all people the most poor. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to die and have absolutely nothing. And Jesus sees that, knows that, knows people are held captive to that philosophy and and to that way of thinking and, and that way of living. And Jesus has good news for the poor. Uh, He offers a life that's abundant and that's eternal and that's different, right? Uh, Life in the kingdom of God, not just life in the kingdom of this world. And so his mission was to enter the physical world, our physical world, to become human, to become one of us, enter the physical world of our physical needs and serve the felt needs of people. And so if you follow Jesus around, uh, you see he's running around healing people. He's running around feeding people. He's running around even raising people from the dead. Right? He's meeting the felt needs of people in order that he might speak into their lives uh, the reality uh, of the real needs that lurk behind the felt needs. So when you follow Jesus around like that and you kind of ask what was his life, how did he live out his mission I'd like to suggest that one of the ways that we could characterize Jesus' mission is that he, he, he did show and tell. You remember show and tell? You ever have show and tell in school? Right? Show and tell. A um, number of years ago, um, when our daughter was in kindergarten, um, we got a call from the principal of the school, Mr. Witten, I still remember his name, and um, I picked up the phone, so I remember the phone call, and Mr. Witten said, uh, Mr. DeVries, uh, we seem to have one too many DeVrieses in school today. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand what he was talking about, and uh, uh, I asked him to explain and so forth. And um, uh, it seemed that the teacher, the kindergarten teacher, was into show and tell. And so uh, our daughter thought it would be great if I could take our dog, Pepper, and bring him into school and show and tell about it. And so she smuggled the dog <laughs> under her coat, right, out of the house, onto the bus, and into the classroom. And nobody knew it, Pepper. 
And um, what happened is that when it was her turn for show and tell, Mr. Witten explained the whole thing, and he said, I said, well, I'll come and get the dog. And he said, well, why don't you just let her finish show and tell first? I said, okay. And so uh, what happens in show and tell is um, you can't just tell people about Pepper. It doesn't work. It's not as good. You can't just tell people about Pepper. But if you could show Pepper, people would get, right, what it's all about. And so um, she showed Pepper. And, uh, but you can't just show Pepper either. You had to tell about Pepper. And so she had to tell things like this, like, uh, why is Pepper so important to you? How, how does Pepper make you happy? <laughs> you know, um, why did you bring Pepper for show and tell? Um, how does Pepper help you? You know, and so on and so forth. She had all these questions. How does Pepper make your life better? And you know, I want to suggest it's the same for us and Jesus. It's about show and tell. You can't just tell about Jesus. Right? You can't just tell about Jesus because people want to see what that's really all about. And you can't just see... I mean, you can't just uh, show, you can't just like live Jesus through your life and show people without ever telling them where this is coming from and why you're so happy and why you're full of hope and all the rest of it, that really evangelism is about show and tell. And it's not that hard, show and tell. Uh, our mission, like Jesus' mission, was to show and tell. We can't just tell people about him. We have to show him living in us. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus put it like this. He said, in the same way, uh, let your light shine before others. We sang that this morning. Let your light shine in front of other people, okay, so that they can see what? Your good works. So that they can see. We have to show so that they can see your good works. And what will happen when they see that? They'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Okay, uh, uh, if you carry this out into, um, you know, the New Testament, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians goes so far in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, for we, you and I, Christians, are God's workmanship. All right, God's been at work making us who we are. We're all unique. We're all different. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like God has a mission for each one of us through sharing and through good works, through serving in order that we might lead or influence uh, the people around us for the cause of Christ. And I think this is uh, rather significant. Uh, Peter uh, also talks about this in, in his book in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, hey, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Like, you ought to expect that people are going to ask you, why are you always so happy? Why are you so optimistic? How is it that you can be in the hospital and be facing this, you know, life-threatening issue, and you're so calm? I remember the night before I had my surgery, on my, my open-heart surgery, there was another guy in the room with me. 
And uh, this guy was really nervous, and he brought all his work with him. He had three computers with him, and he was, you know, going like crazy and everything. And I was just like laying there, I think, watching a game or something. You know? And we got into this little discussion about this, and it was like, the bottom line was, you know, how, how can you be facing, we were facing the same kind of surgery, and how can you be, you know, so relaxed? And it's a great opportunity to just say, well, you know, my life's in the hands of my maker, and I trust him, and he's got a plan for it. And it's all about, you know, maybe it's even about me having this conversation with you. I mean, I didn't say that to him, but, you know, who knows, right? And so um, I want to suggest to you that um, uh, when people ask us about, uh, you know, what's the reason for the way that you live, uh, we ought to be ready. And we ought to be ready to tell people, according to this passage, you know, well, it's from Jesus that I get grace. Undeserved favor. It's like the savior of my life, grace. It's from Jesus that I get forgiveness. I have total peace with God. I really don't believe God's going to bring up all my bad when I reach heaven. That Jesus already paid for it, took it away. That's why, you know, I have this great hope about the future. I, I want you to know that I have peace with God. You know, I want you to know that it's Jesus, it's from Jesus that I find truth. You know, there's all kinds of messages that come to us from the world we live in. And he's like the plumb line that enables me to figure out what's true and what's a lie. So that I don't feel like I'm being deceived all the time or wonder about it or worry about it. It's from Jesus that I have this promise of eternity in a place called heaven. And so, I don't know if you think this is true, but I would suggest to you that most people will not commit to believing in Jesus without first believing in a follower of Jesus. Most people will not commit to believing in Jesus until they first can believe in a follower of Jesus, that we're for real, and that our life is really coming from the spirit of Jesus, and we're sharing it. We're, we're finding a way uh, to serve other people. I think there's probably three different um, kind of natural times. If, again, if you follow Jesus around and, and ask, well, when did he do show and tell? There's like three kind of natural times when it seems like show and tell is really effective. Uh, the first is when something else is when something is going on in somebody else's life. You know, there's enough trouble to go around, right? So everybody takes a turn with good and bad happening in their life. Everybody. And so when something comes around and somebody's struggling with something, and we find a way to serve that person in the midst of whatever it is they're going through. We take our resources, we take our talents, we take our gifts and abilities, we take our personalities, and we just find a way to get involved with somebody who's hurting or somebody who's really excited about something that really, something good that's really happening. And I think when something is going on in somebody else's life, uh, that's a great time to do show and tell, to find a way to serve that person in the midst of that. We can visit them or uh, offer to pray for them. You can write them a letter. You can share money with them. You can, you know, meet a need that's going on, take care of their, cut their grass for them or whatever. Uh, because when we serve people, when they're in the midst of a need, oftentimes a very natural opportunity comes to then share with those people. Why are you doing this? Well, let me tell you why. Jesus did this for me. So I'm just passing it, playing it forward. What is that movie? You know, pay it forward. I'm just uh, part of the uh, plan to do that. I, you remember in um, Romans, uh, 
Romans uh, chapter 12 and verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right? So one of the very natural times when show and tell works is when other people are either having a really great experience or hurting in some way or another. Um, another uh, way that I think uh, helps is in James. James talks about this. It's just by listening, just being there to listen uh, to people. Um, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Two ears, one mouth, right? Twice as much listening as talking. I don't know, how good are you of a listener? You know, sometimes I have so much to say that I don't listen very well. Just thinking about what I'm going to say next before I even listen to somebody. But when something's going on in somebody's life um, and we can be there and we can pray, it's just loving our neighbors, right? The second um, kind of, I think, natural opportunity for show and tell, if you follow Jesus around, you'll discover, is that when something's going on in your life, when something's happening in your life, either trouble or very exciting time uh, in your life, and um, you ask yourself, you know, how might God want to use what's happening in my life for the benefit of the next person? Um, and so when you think about what's going on in our lives, how are we handling what's going on in our lives? Are we facing it or are we pretending it's not there? Are we talking about it? Are we humbled by it? Uh, can we be honest about it? Uh, is faith or fear showing up? Uh, does grace or anger show up? Again, in James, I, you know, I'm still, not, uh, I'm still not where James is at in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, brothers. You there? I mean, I'm, I still have a problem. I have, I have to work myself up to this. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, when it has its full effect, uh, allows you to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. It's just not my first reaction when trouble comes to say, oh, boy, here's some trouble. I get to grow. <laughs> this is really exciting. I'm going to be a better person tomorrow because I have this huge you know, problem today. I'm just not quite there yet. But you know, isn't it true that you do grow through those kinds of situations? And are we willing to um, do show and tell about those life situations that God's allowed into our life? Or... Are we getting mad at God for allowing us to hurt so much? You know, and instead of counting it all joy, we count it all a pain. You know, and um, we can get angry about it. And then a third kind of opportunity, it seems to me, that's natural for show and tell is um, what's in the news. Everybody watches the news or everybody is somewhat aware of what's going on in the world. And the news is filled with all kinds of things uh, that are happening, right? Um, did you see in the news this past week that bridge in Italy that collapsed and I think it was 35 people lost their lives? Can you imagine what it would be like to get up in the morning, go to work, you know, just a normal day like any other day, and uh, the, the, the bridge falls out from, it reminded me of the Mianus River Bridge down here, you know. Can you imagine having this conversation with somebody at work or your neighbor? Just say, did you hear what was in the news you know, that they said 35, can you imagine what that would be like to get up in the morning? Because what? Your neighbor's getting up in the morning. He's driving to work. He's going over bridges. You know, he can relate. Say, 
You ever think about what happens to people after they die? I mean, you ever really think, like, do you think that's just, like, it? Or do you think, like, there's an afterlife? I mean, it's just a natural way to get into a conversation, you know? This past week, you could say, Aretha Franklin. Hey, do you think she's in heaven? Why? Why do you think she is or isn't in heaven? Well, I mean, it's just a conversation starter. Well, of course she's in heaven. I talked to one guy. Of course she's in heaven. Her father was a Baptist pastor. <laughs> That's what she said, uh, what he said. Um, so I think the news is, you know, uh, uh, again, uh, an occasion for show and tell. And just to be able to enter into spiritually minded, it's what Jesus did. If you follow him around, you'll see Jesus did show and tell. Wherever he went, you know, he'd do some miracles, heal some people or whatever. And then he'd tell them about the kingdom of God and how it's here and uh, how they could have a, an entirely different life. Now, when, when I personally feel like I'm not living up to the mission part of my life uh, as effectively as I should, I realize that my problem is usually in one of two areas, okay? Um, one is, do I want to? And the other is, do I know how to? My problem usually is in one or the other bucket, right? Like, I have to ask myself, do I really want to show and tell with more people out in the world? I've like, got enough people in my life. Do I really want to? Do I want to fulfill my purpose? Do I, do I want to, right? Do I, do, I, do I have some people in my life that I really want to see in heaven? Or don't I really care? Do I want to? Do I want to serve the purpose for which God created me? Do I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of, the, end of my life? Do I want to? And I have to do an assessment on myself that, you know, I don't always want to. So all the how-tos really don't make any difference if I don't want to. But then sometimes, you know, we want to and we have people in mind that God has put on our hearts and we're praying for them and we're working on them. I have some people that I've been praying for for a long time and I've exhausted every how-to that I can think of on these people and I have to come up with a new how-to. I want to. I don't know how to. And so when I come up short on my mission, right, of what God has called me to do, I have to ask, do I really want to? And if I want to, then do I know how to? And if you don't know how to, you know, there's plenty of help everywhere. Like you could have come this morning to Chris Cortez's class on evangelism and learned how to share your faith by sharing one verse of scripture. It was great. A one-verse method of sharing. All you got to do is know one verse of scripture. Showed us how to draw it on a napkin if you're having a restaurant with somebody or whatever. Very simple, very concise, very easy. Can't forget it. So there's plenty of help for how-tos. And I think when it comes to wanting to, I think we need to go back again and try to experience more of the love of God and what that's worth to us. And that motivates us to have other people that we care about and uh, love uh, have that same experience. So want to and have to. Um, who can I talk to and um, how can I do it? In Matthew chapter 10, uh, again, Jesus 
he's, he's sending out his disciples on a show-and-tell uh, mission, if you will. Um, he's got his 12 disciples there, and he's given them instructions uh, before they go on this excursion of uh, a show-and-tell excursion. And um, he's sending them to the lost people uh, of Israel, the Jewish people of Israel, and he's given them instructions before they go. And so he says this, tell the people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tell the people that the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's, we're right on the edge of it, right? Tell. And then he says, um, in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. And then he says this, and this is the phrase, freely you have received freely give freely you have received God's done all the work God has done all the heavy lifting and he has freely given you the gospel he's freely forgiven you of your sins freely uh, create a place in heaven for you freely and as freely as God is so gracious in giving to you you now go and freely give and show and tell Show and tell. Heal the sick. You know, cure the blind. Cast out the demons. You know, serve. Find ways to serve people in their felt areas of need. And then tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is right here in the person of Jesus. Show and tell. You have freely received, freely give. And I don't know, you think about this. You and I you know, really have freely received. I don't know if you've thought about this. I saw in the news uh, this week that uh, somebody won like $400 million or something or in the lottery, you know? If, you had a, if somebody asked you, you know, would you rather have uh, the gospel or win the lottery? What would you rather have? Who's richer? I say, well, I'd like both, but, <laughs> but if you can't have both and you really had to choose, do you realize how rich we are? I mean, $400 million is nothing compared to eternity and peace with God. I mean, think about it. We are incredibly rich, incredibly rich because of the love that Jesus Christ has for us. And so, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul in um, Corinthians, he says, you know, when you understand this and when you know this, the love of God for you overshadows everything else in your life. It changes your whole way of living. It just changes you. It takes over because you're so incredibly rich. If I won $400 million, I would be pretty occupied figuring out what to do with it, right? If I won more than that in the gospel... I'd be pretty occupied figuring out what does this mean and what am I going to do with the riches that God freely received, so freely give. We are incredibly rich. And so Paul in um, 2 Corinthians, uh, he puts it like that, uh, like this. In verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Now just pause and ask that 
for the, if, if the love of Christ was going to control us for the next week, what would that look like? He says, for the love of Christ, if you understand how rich you are and, and, and how many resources you have now because of the gospel, the love of Christ begins to take control. You know, control's a big deal in our culture, right? Everybody, you know, they're so controlling, this is so controlling. Well, the only way that you can be controlled by something else is if there's a vacuum, right? If, if, if the love of Christ is not in control in our lives, then other things, you know, come into the vacuum. So Paul says the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died for us so that we don't have to face our last enemy, the worst enemy, death, annihilation, ceasing to exist. So that we could die to ourselves and not have to worry about ourselves. We're secure, we're locked in, we're, we're gifted by this wonderful grace of the gospel. And we don't have to worry about it. We let ourselves go so that we begin to live and join his mission. And that we understand that between now and the day we die, I'm here on a mission. I'm joined into the same mission that Jesus had that reached me. Only it's now to reach the next person, other people. And so he says this, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Whenever I meet a person, Paul says, you know what? I don't think of them in fleshly terms. I think of them as a spiritual person as either saved or lost, right? As either reconciled with God or not. From now on, therefore, we don't regard anybody according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him like that no longer. And therefore, if anybody's in Christ, they're a whole new creation. The old has passed away. Everything becomes new. I have a whole different level of living because of the love of Christ, because of the gospel. I am incredibly rich. I live now very different that I have $400 million than I did before I had $400 million. I live very different now that the gospel has come and made me incredibly rich. I'm a very different person, and that's what he's saying. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, verse 18, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us, the, gave us the privilege of representing this good news to the world in which we live. Called us to a life of show and tell about the gospel and how great. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. Isn't that, it's so cool. You and I get to bop around the world and share with anybody who will listen that God's not interested in holding their sins against them anymore. I mean, such good news. I mean, most people live with a lot of guilt and shame, right? Most people know that they've really screwed up along the way. And we get to go around and announce that God has a solution for it. And he's not interested. Most people are scared to death to die because they think God's going to get them. And God already got Jesus, right, for it. And so... That ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation, 
uh, has been trusted, entrusted to us in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I don't know about you, but probably like most people, I've had some um, labels conferred on me uh, along my life's journey. Uh, When I was in college, I was called in the local newspaper a hero uh, because uh, I rescued a lady from a burning house. And uh, when I went to the hospital to visit her, she cursed me out. (laughs) Turned out that she was trying to commit suicide and I messed everything up for her. So much for being a hero. Pretty short-lived, right? When uh, I was also, when I was in college, I was uh, the president of our sophomore class until I ran the next year and lost to a liberal kind of guy. And uh, that was the end of that. And so I've learned, you know, that labels, um, they don't last long. uh, They don't mean much. And, um, you know, at work, oftentimes people will say, well, you know, I worked so hard and I got this promotion and they gave me a title but they didn't give me a raise. And so titles aren't always worth that much, right? And uh, it sounds like some of you had that experience. So unless the title conferred on you comes from God. Now, you may never have had any title at all, right? But this passage says that you are an ambassador of heaven that you have a title, you have a mission, and you have a title. You are an ambassador. Did you see Uh, verse uh, 20? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, if you think about uh, being an ambassador, um, you realize that this is a title that God has given us, and um, it defines our role. Even if you've never had any other title or never been distinguished for anything, ambassador, if you're a Christian, is your title. And it's a high title. It's an honor title. Uh, people work very hard to become an ambassador. People give lots of money to some presidential candidate in the hopes that they'll be appointed the ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who represents the, fa- the face and the thoughts of the highest authority of their nation, right? An ambassador represents, it is the face and the voice of um, uh, our country. And so other people's impression of us comes from the conduct and the words of our ambassadors all around the world. And uh, some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Um, But imagine yourself being an ambassador of God, of Jesus Christ. And you being the face and the words of Jesus to the rest of the world. That you and I stand between other people and God to represent the truth about the way God really is. So that other people can know the truth about God. That's what an ambassador, you know, is supposed to do. And an ambassador is a very, I would think, you have to really trust 
somebody to represent you. And an ambassador is usually appointed by the highest authority, right? Our president usually appoints ambassadors. And you and I have been appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be his face and his words to the world in which we live so that people could know the truth. And um, sometimes it's hard to be an ambassador. Uh, The impression that uh, people have of our God is dependent upon us. And so when we mess up or when people use uh, our uh, faults and failures and so forth uh, to demean God, you know, there's a lot of us who say, well, I don't want to be an ambassador. Well, I'm sorry, but you know what? You don't really have a choice. You can be a bad one. Or you can be a good one, but you got to be one because you're a Christian. Every Christian is an ambassador of God. And so um, we don't really have a choice in that, and it's a really important uh, title that's been conferred on us that enables us to be able to do uh, the mission that God has entrusted to us. We are ambassadors of Christ to a broken, lost, temporary world, and it's a great honor and privilege to be appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. Our job is to show and to tell the truth about who God is, what he's done, what he said, and so on. If we go back to that original passage of scripture in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus, you know, goes to his hometown, says, look, this is my mission. I'm here to straighten out all the problems in the world. I am the answer. I am the Messiah. I have come from God. I've got grace and truth. I'm here to serve and uh, lead and help people into the kingdom of God. So what was the reaction of the people? Verse 22. So all the people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless in the future, you're going to quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, a prophet is, is, is No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up uh, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of the people in Israel, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus is saying, look, you're not going to accept me. The kingdom of God is here, and I know that in the future you're going to reject me. You're you're saying, oh, isn't he great now? But when it comes to it, uh, you've got a problem. And and so now look what happens. Uh, Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Everybody spoke well of him until he told them the truth and told them that their way of life was not life at all, that their way of life left them blind and oppressed and confused and uh, poor and all the rest of it. And at that point, they said, we're gonna, we, we either have to let go of ourselves or we have to get rid of him. And so they decided, let's get rid of him, right? And that's the choice that we all come to. We either say to God, you know what, I believe you, I trust you, and I surrender myself to you, or we say, stay away from me. We don't 
you know, we come here today and we say, well, I agree with that. We all are ambassadors and we all should be into show and tell. But we go home and we don't change. And uh, that's what happened to these people. They're like, wow, when he read the scriptures, oh, wasn't that great? And we all are for him and so forth. But when he said, look, this is for real. This is your eternity. Then they said, let's get rid of him. And they kept him at a distance rather than allowed him into their hearts. That's the choice everybody has to make. Will we let him be who he is? Or will we hold him away from us? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we realize that we live in a world that's lost, right? Every one of us in this room would agree that the world is not good the way it is. And uh, everybody in our world, it seems, has some kind of solution and offers some kind of, uh, all the politicians and uh, university professors, everybody has ideas about how to make it better. But the truth is you came, Father, in the person of Jesus to serve and to lead. And then you said the solution to the world's problems today is for all of your people to follow Jesus in serving and in leading. And so help us, Heavenly Father, to evaluate our own lives in those terms. May we figure out, Father, uh, ways that you would have us serve people, non-Christian people. And then, Father, on the basis of that serving, be able to lead them into a relationship with you and into an eternity in heaven so that Jesus might be glorified for who he really is.